But this morning I want to speak to you from Mark chapter 8, verse 22 to 26. I'm going to bring a fresh look to this. I know that we've looked at this before. Mark chapter 8, verse 22 to 26. And the title of this morning's message. Can you all put that up there? Can you guys put that title up there? Like trees walking. Like trees walking. And, uh, and I'm excited to be able to speak to you from the scriptures this morning. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says in Mark chapter 8 verse 22. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. And they came to Bethsaida. Can I tell you something? I was in Israel when they discovered Bethsaida. They've discovered the town of Bethsaida. The archaeologists have recently done that. And they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him outside of the village. And when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people walking. And they look like trees walking around. And once more Jesus put his hand on the man's eyes. And then his eyes were open. His sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. And Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. Let me just share with you this morning. The healing at the, of the blind man near Bethsaida is the only recorded miracle. Performed by Jesus where the initial healing was incomplete. This man needed a second touch of Jesus to experience a full restoration of his sight. And we actually find some, some additional information about the context of what was going on here during in Matthew chapter 11 verse 23 to 20, verse 20 to 22. Where Bethsaida and Chorazin are rebuked for their unwillingness to embrace the ministry of Jesus. So these two towns refuse to embrace the ministry of Jesus. The wickedness that dominated the area appears to be a contributed factor for the miracle taking place outside of the city. Jesus takes this man, takes him outside of the city. And while this miracle raises some questions that we might never know the full answer to until eternity, we can learn some significant lessons from walking trees are going to help us to follow Jesus. Do you know that the Bible says that Jesus could not perform miracles there because of the people's lack of faith? I wonder what that would do to our church. What if we all came here in eager expectation of what the Lord Jesus could do? What if we all came here and every time we walked into the doors of the church, we would say, Lord, what if today is the day? That you will choose to use me to speak a word of life onto someone who desperately needs it. What if today is the day that you walk into that church and your hug, your word of comfort, your love will stop someone from going home and taking their life? What if God had the opportunity to use you? What if the miraculous took place and instead of us being amazed by the miraculous and shocked by it, we would say, that's normal. That's supposed to happen in the house of God. How different would church look if we turned it upside down and made it like that? That needs to be our heart. See, we come in here, and I used to think it 
all the time when I was a kid. I used to wait in eager expectation of the service. And when I used to come in, I used to assess the service. And, 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 and my assessment of the service was as follows. If, if there was no preaching that day, or if the pastor preached a short message, and if the lady up front that was singing sang that song at 200 miles an hour, then we were in. Church was lit. It was going great. But if it didn't go down like that, then, you know, they messed up, man, in that planning and how they did things. But here's the thing. We help foster an atmosphere in this church that helps to invite the Holy Spirit. But you bring the Spirit with you. Every time you walk into the doors of the church, you bring the Holy Spirit with you. Every time you walk into the doors of the church, you bring the Spirit with you, your Spirit with you. That's going to contribute to the worshiping and the exaltation of Jesus. It's so important to have a right Spirit wherever you go. People can tell the Spirit that you have. Here's some lessons that we can learn from these walking trees. Number one, friends can move us closer to or further from God. The Bible says that the blind man's friends brought him to Jesus. In a similar healing of a crippled man who also had friends, they tore open a roof and lowered their friend to Jesus. This story describes a small group that was concerned for their friend. Can I tell you something? Here's one of the things that I learned about the Lord. God doesn't only care about our vertical relationship with him. He cares about the health of our horizontal relationships, our relationships with other people. And I believe wholeheartedly friendship is important to God. See, the Bible says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 through 10. Two are better than one, for they have a good return for their labor. And when one falls down, the other can pick him up. But pity the man who, when he falls, has no one to pick him up. I want to, if something were to ever go down in my life, I want to make sure that, what is that thing called in, when they have a rave and they, 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 those people pick you up? It's called a mosh pit. There you go. You want a mosh pit ready to pick you up. You want uh, hundreds of people ready to say, you are down, I am picking you up. I'm going to help you out. I'm going to lift you up. I'm not going to let you fall down. I'm not going to let this go down the way that the enemy intended to. I am going to intervene. You want friendship. See, Jesus described his followers as friends. And Proverbs declares the positive benefits of friends even if we don't like what they say. Listen to what the Proverbs say. Because friendship also means telling someone what they don't want to hear but they need to hear. Here's what Scripture says in the book of Proverbs. The wounds of a friend are sweeter than the kisses of an enemy. The wounds of a friend are sweeter than the kisses of an enemy. But friends can also have a negative influence on our lives. See, Proverbs is full of warnings of not to hang out with fools who mock God because they'll lead you down a path of disruption. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, and this is actually Paul. Paul took this from a secular source and inserted it in the Bible so that the people in Corinth could understand exactly what he meant. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Look at what the Apostle Paul says. Bad company corrupts good morals. You ever heard that before? You ever heard your little old lady mama come up to you and say, bad company corrupts good character. Because it's true. In Spanish... We used to have this saying, 
Dime con quién andas y te diré quién eres. Tell me who you're walking with and I'll tell you who you are. See, there are several examples of bad influences in Scripture. See, Israel listened to a bad report when they were initially. God had set the promised land for them to be able to walk into it, for them to be able to conquer it. And so they decide to send ten spies to go up there and to be able to survey the land and see, hey, what needs to be done. God had already promised this thing to them. So those spies come back and eight of them come back and they say, there are giants up in that land and we're not ready to conquer them. And two of them, Joshua and Caleb said, hey, God has promised us this land. So it doesn't matter what's over there. If God has promised it, then we're ready to take it. As a result of their, of their listening to the eight spies who would tell them that they should not attempt to conquer the land at this time, God sent them out into the desert for another 40 years. Where is your 40-year moment? Be careful of those 40-year moments where God is telling you, pushing you forward, and your friends are inching you back. King Herod executed John the Baptist because he was afraid of being considered weak in front of his pagan friends. Two individuals who accompanied the work of, because you know sometimes church folk. Just because we go to church don't mean that Jesus is in us. And some of us are works in construction, and when we hurt, we bleed, and we bleed all over people. But listen to what the Apostle Paul has to say about two characters who worked with him in missionary work in the church. Demas and Alexander did harm to the Apostle Paul, and listen to what the Apostle Paul says about them. He says, because they love the world. Because they love the world. I could tell you a number of examples, and many of you have personal stories of people who made bad decisions due to the negative influence of friends in their lives. Fortunately, the blind man from Bethsaida had friends who led their friend closer to Jesus. Do you have friends that move you closer to Jesus? Or are you a friend who inspires others to follow Jesus more closely? Or are you a friend who, by your example and by your testimony, lead others away from Jesus? Second lesson that that is shown through this story is that faith is shared, not borrowed. Faith is shared, it's not borrowed. Friends can and should inspire us, but their faith can never be a substitute for a personal relationship with Christ Jesus. In this story, Jesus leads the blind man away from the city and from his friends to experience a personal encounter with the Savior. Be careful that your faith is your own. That you're not somehow embracing a cultural heritage of your family. That you're not embracing a Christianity which is sluggish and full of apathy. If you need to define what apathy looks like in the life of a believer, we have a podcast about that. Listen to last week's message. Number three, the master's touch always trumps tradition. I am convinced that one of the reasons why Jesus performed this miracle differently was to remind us that God can't be put in a box. God can't be put in a box. I, I heard this story. Uh, there's this, uh, this, this book that uh, this individual who I, I listen to and, and I gain insight from. His name is Tom Rayner. And he has this book out. It's, the book is called, Who Moved My Pulpit? 
And the book is about when you step into a church that needs drastic changes to be done, but you can't make the changes that need to be done because don't you dare move that pulpit because someone will come next week and they'll put that sucker right back where it is. Because sometimes we're strapped down to tradition. And that's a very simple way of saying that. There are other traditions and sacred cows in the church where if you touch them, be careful, you'll get stung. And so uh, he, he writes a story of, about a pastor uh, being rebuked by the church membership when he took his laptop onto the stage instead of the leather-bound Bible. And the pastor was so desperately trying to explain that he had several translations, including his Hebrew and his Greek, downloaded on his computer. But the church demanded no computers, only Bibles in the pulpit. See, it's ironic and sad that we worship the creator, the creator, yet one of the least creative places on the planet is the church. What is the best way to experience the power and love of God? Is it through preaching, singing, praying, or observing the beauty of nature? Maybe you experience God on a missions trip like Courtney. Maybe you experience God by visiting people in the hospital. We desperately need you, by the way, if that's the case. Maybe you experience God by ministering to the little ones, teaching during vacation, Bible school. See, there are multiple ways to experience Jesus. Jesus healed by spitting on one man. And I'll confess that I'm glad that the church didn't adopt this message to confer blessing on people. And if you're looking for it, you're not going to get it from me. I'm not going to spit on you, I promise. Jesus placed mud on the eyes of another man. Some he touched in a ceremonial fashion. For some blessings that Jesus, for some healings, all Jesus had to do was speak. And, and, and the demons fled and the dead were raised. Spit in the man's eyes, put mud in another guy's eyes, called forth Lazarus with his words. Didn't even have to get to the to the centurion's house to be able to heal his dead to be able to heal his dead child. Said, "Your daughter is well. Go." God cannot be put in a box. God cannot be put in a box. He is incredible. He is awesome. He is far beyond our imagination, far beyond anything that we can think. And God can operate any way that he chooses. Any way that God chooses. Number four, some nails need more than one hit. Uh, if you're like me, right, I, I've improved. I, I've had some people that have helped me out. But, I mean, if you're like me, maybe you're that guy, right? that uh, is not exactly a handyman, and, and will put that nail. You ever try to put a nail into something? How many of you have tried to mess around with a nail and a hammer? Yeah? Maybe you're like me, and you take a few swings, and you hit your fingers the first several times. Because the Lord has just not blessed me in that area. <laughs> Some swings need to be taken more than once. Why did Jesus have to touch the man twice? Maybe it was because the affliction was so severe. Matthew identifies that region as a region that was unresponsive to Jesus and to Jesus' ministry. See, living in that environment would have made the man susceptible to demonic strongholds. I want to tell you about something in this town. There is a demonic stronghold in this town. Okay. I feel it every time 
I walk into this town. The head of the chamber of commerce in this town is a Wiccan witch. And we have Wiccan stores in this town. And can I tell you, the second that I get into this town sometimes and cross from being on vacation, the second that I cross into this area, I immediately feel the spirit of depression and mediocrity. There is a stronghold in this place. We have other biblical examples. Sometimes you say, God, one and done. Have you ever, and we, and we say it too, when we're praying for people, I mean, we, we get really hyper-spiritual. I do it all the time too. Lord, just a touch from your hand. Can God do it in one? Yeah, absolutely he can. But we have other biblical examples of where repeated efforts were necessary to obtain the desired result. In fact, Joshua would march around Jericho 13 times before the wall came down. Elijah prayed seven times before rain came down. Jesus prayed three times, let this cup pass from me. See, the king of glory faced some enemies that refused to go away after the first punch. So Jesus would go on and hit him again. Like driving a nail into a piece of wood, you will face some challenges that require more than just one strike of the hammer. And so I'm going to tell you something. Hit it again. Hit it again. Do not give up on the dreams and on the promises of God. See, what I learned when I was a young kid is that if you hear the answer no, then you stop. I'm telling you, if you hear the answer no, sometimes you got to whack it again. Imagine if Walt Disney would have stopped at the first no. No, you can't have that loan. You can't start that company. You can't do this. You can't do that. Let me tell you, the first several banks that I went to to try to lend so that we could get the youth center going said, hey, Pastor Tom, we like you a lot, but the answer is no. Unfortunately, we can't. Why do you think this thing has taken so long for us to do? No, 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 no. And I would get home all the time devastated talking to my vice. I, this is just not going to happen. What does this mean? Does God even want me to be in this church long term? This is just not working out. What is the next step here, Lord? All it takes is one yes. One yes that will open that door. All it takes is that faith that says, I'm not just going to listen to that one time that I heard no. I am going to press ahead. The loan didn't work out, apply for another one. That employee didn't work out, hire another one. The job didn't work out, get another one. Sometimes you got to hit it twice. Just ask the addict. Ask the individual who suffered all their life with addiction. And all of them who have broken free. Find out how many times it took them hitting that thing before it finally fell. How many centers of addiction they needed to go to before that stronghold finally came tumbling down. You've got to hit this thing. Sometimes more than once. Sometimes more than twice. Three, four, five times. Do not give up. Don't give up. We serve a conquering God. Can you say this with me? I know that this is a little unethical. God is not a wimp. God is the Muhammad Ali and the Mike Tyson of, of, of the spiritual world. He will do the one-two. What is that thing that, 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 that Ali used to say? What is it? A butterfly. Da dance like a butterfly, sing like a bee. Oh, yeah, our God can do it. He can do it. He can do the one-two. He just needs you to have faith. If you have faith, 
God will deliver the KO time and time again. Do not lose faith. You're suffering with addiction, don't lose faith. God can do it. Can I tell you something? For those of you who may be suffering with addiction at this moment, the best thing that you could ever do, the best thing that you could ever do in any type of addiction is speak to someone about it. I'm not necessarily talking to a professional. Talk to somebody that you can be accountable to and say, you know what, every time I see this or every time this happens, this kind of leads me down a bad path. So that someone can observe it. I do it with my wife all the time. I say, hey, hon, look, this is, this is going to lead me down a bad path. I need you to watch out for this. Make sure that, that we're having some accountability that goes on. Number five, seek additional blessings. The final lesson can be observed from Jesus when he asks a pivotal question. And he asks, what do you see? Now keep in mind, I know you've heard this before. I'm preaching to the choir on this, but Jesus never asks a question for information. The Bible says that God is omniscient. That means that he knows all. He's God in flesh. He knows all the thoughts of man. So Jesus already knew what the man could see before he even asked the question. Jesus is seeking to impart revelation to the blind man, not to get information. Every time Jesus asks a question, it is about revelation never to obtain information. Some examples in scripture where God uses questions to teach people include from the very beginning. When God asks Cain a question, hey Cain, where's your brother? Or when God asks Adam and Eve, hey, who told you you were naked? Or when God asks Moses as he lays, stands before him in the burning bush, Moses, what's in your hand? Jesus asks several significant questions throughout his ministry. Who do people say that I am? Who is your neighbor? What should we feed the multitudes? And to Bartimaeus, what do you want the Son of Man to do for you? See, Jesus knew that the man couldn't see, but he asked the question desiring for the man to seek one more touch from him. See, most people are content with just a little blessing. Most are content with one touch of salvation, knowing that it will get them to heaven. But they continue to live without the fullness that Jesus promised to them. See, if God would have asked most of us that question and asked us, hey, what do you see? We would have probably said, things are a little blurry, but I'll be all right. When I get a little more time, I'll come back, but I have some things to do first. So Jesus asks the question, what do you see? And he's still asking that same question today. Are things a little blurry in your life right now? Do you need a fresh touch from the master? Are you tired of trying to live off of someone else's testimony, someone else's faith? Are you ready to seek a personal encounter with Jesus? What do you see and what are you going to do about it? What do you see and what are you going to do about it? I think that that is a pivotal, I think it's an important question that we need to be asking ourselves this morning. 
who are our friends? Do they draw us or lead us to Jesus? Have we borrowed our faith culturally? Are we mastered down, strapped down, slaves to tradition? Or are we ready to empower the creativity of God? Are we giving up when we throw the first punch expecting the giant to come down and it doesn't? Sometimes you need to throw a few more punches. Sometimes you need to get a little bit more pebbles to swing at the giant before the giant comes down. And are we satisfied? Are we living in a place where we are satisfied and where we are content where God wants us to seek for more? Is God asking us questions, that question that says, what do you see? To try to prompt us to ask for more and say, Lord, you did it. You showed up, but the problem and the issue is still there. Let's revisit this, Lord. Do it again. Lord, you fixed that problem with my wife, but there are still relational issues. Lord, I need your staying power in this. Have you ever heard of the term long-suffering? You need to be long-suffering sometimes. That means that you need to be willing to stay in the fight and not give up. Stay in the fight, church. This is a fight. This is a battle until the end. Until the day that we are called home to glory, this will be a fight and a battle. And we're believing for God's healing and powerful touch. And he won't always do it the same way. So when you look at the stories of your past, say thank you God for your deliverance. Use them as stories of faith. But never expect God to respond in the same way. It will only frustrate you. I want to worship Jesus and I want to pray. And... Uh, I want to pray in specific for one thing because I, I want to pray that the healing hand of God would make itself very present and very evident in this church this morning. And so I, I want to pray. Uh, I want to pray for someone. There's a health issue that's going on. They've had uh, uh, family members in the past that have had this health issue. And we're going to pray that it would be just halted at her and that it would not continue to, to mess up. When I married my wife, I said this to her. And we prayed this prayer together. I said, the spirit of divorce is null and void. This will not affect this generation. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And so we're going to pray that whatever this is that's going on, that this would be broken in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's worship the Lord. I'm going to ask those folks. Could I, could I ask the, those folks who are in, in ministry in the church, ministry leaders, can you, can you come forward? We, we want to pray. We want to pray. Come on. Come on now. Help us out. We got you come. Come on now. We, we got you covered. I want you to lay your hands on this woman. I'm going to anoint her with oil. Come on, Bridget. Come on here. Bridget is her daughter. and She has grandkids. 
Come on here, Lorraine and Abigail. Come on up. Bridget has some kids, too. Hallelujah. We're going to break this thing right now. We're going to break this thing right now. Josephine, can you lead in prayer? Can you lead in prayer? We're going to cover this right now. Thousand times I feel your mercy remains. Or should I stumble again? So I'm caught in your grace, everlasting. Your light will shine when all else fades. Never ending. Your glory goes beyond all. Yeah. 
Jesus. I just want to share with you, uh, I want to share with you uh, just a, a moment that I saw, and, and then I want to explain this to the church of what this means. Okay? The Bible says, after the fall of man occurred, and man was culpable before the sight of God, and sin invaded the life of man. The question that we ask ourselves is, and what now, God? What of your plan? I just want to share with you the plan of God from the very beginning. Listen to the proclamation that God issues to the serpent. The serpent symbolizing Satan, the devil, Lucifer. Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 is called the Proto-Evangelion. The first gospel. It is the first mention that God has a plan to redeem and to restore creation. Listen to what the scripture says. God indicts the serpent after what he does. And he says this. He says, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. This is the Proto-Evangelion, verse 15. And I will put an enmity between you and the woman, and between her offspring and yours. And he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. This is the first mention of Jesus coming. There's this beautiful image online, if you look it up. It is... The fallen Eve with the serpent twisted around her feet, touching Mary's stomach as Mary's foot is crushing the serpent's head. Jesus came to crush. As a matter of fact, in the book of Revelations, as creation is culminating and the end is occurring, the Bible says that the ancient serpent appears again. And you know what he appears with? He appears with a scar on his head because he has been defeated, destroyed, and crushed. And can I tell you, I just as we were praying here, I saw a slump serpent, a defeated serpent, something that's done, dead, and broken with, and I'm believing that in the name of Jesus. And so I wanted you to understand what that meaning of that slump serpent means, that Jesus has come and it's game over. The enemy's destination is secured. He is utterly and completely defeated. And so if you ever wondered before, man fell, and what now, God? How did we get to this point of Jesus? Genesis 3, 15. I will put an enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. I don't know about you. I prefer to have a struck heel than a crushed head. Because you ain't coming back from a crushed head. He struck his heel, yes. And that the venom of death struck Jesus. But Jesus defeated him. He rose up again. And that baby that we celebrate in the manger this holiday season must be looked at in the shadow of the glorious cross which we would hang on for the redemption of humanity. And that is what breaks sin. And that is what breaks the work of the enemy. 
That is what breaks addiction. That's what brings healing. That's what brings healing. And so we're going we're gonna to continue to pray. We're going to continue to worship this morning. Risen King, we love you. This is as formal dismissal.